Hello and welcome to the Access of Space Defense and Security podcast. I'm Omkar Nikam, your host for this episode. In this podcast, we explore the latest developments and trends in the fields of space exploration, defense technology, and national security. Each episode features insightful interviews with experts and industry leaders who share their perspectives on a wide range of topics, including the latest advances in satellite technology, space exploration missions, military defense strategies, cybersecurity, and more. Whether you are a space enthusiast, a military professional, or someone interested in the latest innovation in technology and security, this podcast has something for you. Join us as we delve into the cutting-edge research breakthroughs that are shaping the future of space defense and security. Stay tuned. Episode 46 is a follow-up of episode 45. So I kindly request you to first listen to episode 45. to connect with our discussion in episode 46 thank you and enjoy the episode yeah uh, to proceed with the civilian part of the conversation so what is the role of civilians citizen scientists and non governmental organizations in the uap research and investigation so the truth of the matter is we have a lot of airspace in the us and again other countries have a large swath of airspace to monitor as well um there's only so many resources to do it we can't possibly know everything and anything that's flying in the sky every single second of the day um and i think there's going to be a need to leverage the public to report things when they see potential risks as well as leveraging experts within the government experts with you know within the military um that's going to help us kind of get inputs for detecting and reporting these things going forward um that can only be done if we stigmatize reporting and we get away from the conspiracy theory Um, I always joke around if, if anyone has ever been on a meeting with, with leadership in the Department of Defense via Microsoft Teams um there's about a 50 to 70% chance that it's not going to work and is that really the same entity that's hiding alien ships in the basement of the Pentagon I doubt it um uh, the government's a large clunky bureaucracy um the conspiracy theories I think kind of in many ways over overstate the ability for the for the military and the intelligence community to keep secrets like this like under wrap and it also hurts with stigmatizing the issue so people who do see something suspicious may not be willing to report it because they don't want to be tied to a group that might have a more extreme view on um UAPs in general yes and uh, also just to add to your answer i believe the resources are also kind of crunched uh, for civilians i mean the civilians really don't have the resources as much as of course the military or defense agencies have right in this aspect as well they don't but i would argue on the flip side of it that you know sensing technology is becoming democratized too and think of how much black information you can collect yeah. on your phone and again yes. if you see a suspicious drone that might be a surveillance drone coming from china or russia or wherever else that kind of looks like an amazon delivery drone but it's not you we have the capability now to video to record that information to get an idea of a timestamp get validity in terms of the geolocation and that in and of itself might not always be helpful because it's just particularly time and place but you crowdsource that information and you use artificial intelligence to kind of sift out where there is a you know where you want to prioritize your focus and and where there's risks i think it could be potentially quite useful interesting yeah and uh, how does the public's growing interest in uap affect civil military relations and transparency in government i'm 
asking this question also from the point of communication technology. I mean, there is a load of fake information that comes into play. So that's the reason I'm asking this question. So yeah. if you can sh shed light a little bit on how the government also handles the fake information or the you know, disinformation side as well regarding this issue. So that would be great. Yeah, I've written about this in, in Scientific America. Um, there's a, there's a, I would characterize it as a strange anti-government undertone to the UAP issue that isn't particularly helpful. I mean, it's an interesting topic. Um, the prospect of, of extraterrestrials is always exciting. Um, the truth of the matter is that, you know, it's probably not as exciting as people think. Um, and, and I think that Transparency is really important insofar as there are systems in place where there is data collected and the more boring you can make it, the better and, and more boring insofar as it's transparent and boring. Those are kind of the two covariates. Um, and I think one thing that needs to happen is moving away from individual sightings and trying to debate whether one sighting independent of others is or is not a UAP. And if it's a UAP that represents military aircraft, uh, you know, a civilian aircraft, a balloon, whatever, to looking at broader trends. I think sometimes what happens is we can miss the forest for the individual trees, the individual, individual trees being like a one-off report. And I think there's a way to look at the broader trends to identify where there might be alternative explanations so we can have a healthy dialogue. Um, okay. I don't want to say that, like, it's important to be critical of of authorities, right? I think it's in the it's in the DNA of, of the United States. But on the flip side of it, that critical angle needs to be also um, how do I say that critical yes. approach also needs to be balanced by based rooted in facts and reality. Yes, yeah, I believe. Uh, I mean, disinformation uh, also leads to a lot of uh, you know rumble in the national security aspect as well. So it is very important, I think, that there should be some control measures over it. Uh, of course, this is a different complete topic of discussion, I would say. We can create one more episode on it next time. <laughs> yeah. And, well, uh, you know, you, yeah, you're right. You, you're right, because like I, at RAND, um, RAND is actually kind of has, has, a, um, has a focus of some of the conspiracy theory. And I can tell you, like, yeah. the folks... The folks that work at RAND and the folks that I know who worked at RAND who now are in senior leaderships in the Pentagon, these are just real people who are trying to serve the public, um, who they have kids and they have spouses and they're trying, they have mortgages just like everybody else. And it's not particularly healthy to, to start kind of cooking up how there's like this deep state. Because I can tell you, these people I know who work on these issues are not gajillionaires trying to like keep things under wrap quite the opposite they're just middle class individuals going to their job every day yes. trying to make a difference in the world yes yes so i think yeah it's the people's contribution as well which makes a difference that's true and uh just to move ahead uh so are there any historical precedent precedents uh, for uap encounters and government uh, military responses yeah, I think that, you know, we've seen reports from our pilots of things that can seem like anomalies. And I think it's really important um, to just kind of suss that out. And I think this gets at the issue of trying to discount alternative explanations so we can focus on our attention where there might be a true threat. 
Um, my working hypothesis is that the vast majority, and I think um, the Pentagon has, has come out and, and, and has findings that support this, is that the vast majority of sightings from our um, from from our from our service members, particularly ones that have become public, are there's alternative explanations that that can kind of explain what what these are. Um, with that being said, there's a small percentage that are not, and I think that's where we want to kind of focus our attention to make sure that there is no risk that um, there's no there's no risk that we may not be anticipating, and that risk could come from a new capability from our adversaries. It could come from different types of operations that are occurring that we may not have been aware of. Um, and it could, you know, there's always a prospect of, 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 of risk coming from outside of our planet too. But I think discounting and having a healthy debate based on data of what, of the of understanding the vast majority uh, have some type of explanation and then focusing our attention yes. on the potential risks is, is the, probably the ideal way to go. Yes. And uh, I mean, just out of uh, curiosity, I would say, because I come from a military satellite domain, uh, so, you know, technology is something that we deal on a daily basis, actually, uh, in the defense and security domain. So what technologies or methods are being used to study and analyze UAP sightings and what they have revealed? So I, I think, you know, there, there's, of course, sophisticated sensors and, and other types of technologies within the defense and intelligence community that they have access to. Um, I'm, I'm not an expert on on. Uh, the acquisition technology side of it, so I, I can't speak to that. But what I do think is 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 kind of important is that um, uh, the the use of crowdsourcing I think can become popular popularized, and, and we see this idea like see something, say something in terms of criminal activity, in terms of other types of suspicious, suspicious activity. The same could be true for UAP sighting. Right now, kind of the place that that is the primary source for data that at least we use for our report is the National UFO Reporting Center in Davern. Davenport, Washington, um, and that's led by a, a, an individual named Peter Davenport, and, and I've talked to him, and, and, and he he's a one man, essentially a one man show in his living room, collecting these kind of reports uh, for the past you know 24, 25 years. Um, I think you've seen this movement with the All Domain Anomaly Resolution Office Arrow to start kind of taking in input from service members and folks associated with the government. Um, I, th I think there's an opportunity to move beyond just relying on one person in Davenport, Washington to say, how do we kind of institutionalize the collection of information? And again, I think we're, like I mentioned earlier, we're seeing the democratization of sensors, right? Video, phone, yes. GPS, all that's in your iPhone or, or Android device. How do you leverage this technology? How do you use AI to sift through the mountain of data that might come in? And how do you figure out yes. who's a trusted source to analyze this data? Because it doesn't have to be the federal government. It could be a federalized system that relies on state universities yes. and academics to spark a transparent analysis of the data instead of having a centralized authority that might only feed into the conspiracy theories and promote the trust amongst the civilian reporting um, uh, populations. Yes. Yeah, I, I believe, uh, as you mentioned, uh, you know, about like gathering and the resources as well. So I believe uh, integration of UAP uh, from the academic domain can be done, you know, for people who are either into bachelor's or master's uh, in, in defense and security and, you know, some uh, topics or subjects related to that. Uh, because, you know, I think uh, this information, of course, can be misused as well. So if it's under some university, under a proper academic program, there will be a 
specific i think a documentation that can go into play and the results can be you know then submitted from the university to the defense department as well so uh, have you come across this kind of uh, institution or possibly a chain where the universities and the defense agencies cooperate on on such kind of research i mean, i think we do it on other types of research so there there you know rand is a federally funded research development center so it's a nonprofit entity that does work for the department of defense um, but there's also, we have uh, university affiliated research centers throughout the country. And there's also just, you know, there's there's grants through DARPA, there's grants through the Minerva project. There's a lot of different funding streams where, you know, it's, it's highly decentralized. And I do think that if we want to look at reporting in the future, it's probably going to rely on a decentralized funding model where you have, you know, different hubs throughout the country of state universities, for example. And it probably is not just going to be a DOD intelligence community thing. It's probably going to relate to civilian, for example, the FAA is interested in these topics, right? Um, and yes. what we want to be able to do is essentially move beyond the, the, the extraterrestrial conversation to the broader set of risks that are coming from this technological trend that is the democratization of airports. Yes. Yes. And, you know, uh, just to step a little back, and I'm coming back to that point again, so how has the media's coverage of UAP influenced the public perception and government action on this topic? So on one hand, I think the exposure of, of the media exposure on this topic has, has sparked, I think, a conversation and an interest. Um, and this interest is not anything new, right? I think sometimes it gains more attention, but it ebbs and flows in terms of media attention. But surveys show that about a quarter of Americans think they saw some type of UAP so it makes kind of sense that their members of Congress are going to respond to their constituencies. And so uh, when a quarter of the country is saying on a survey they think they saw something, I mean, this this is now a public policy issue, right? And I think it's good to have a conversation as long as the conversation is productive, it's rooted in fact. Um, on the other hand, I think the sensationalism can invite a strange anti-government sentiment. Um, to be clear, extraterrestrial would probably be the biggest story since Jesus Christ. And I just don't think the U.S. government yeah. is capable of covering that up, even if they wanted to. Um, we have a 20-something-year-old National Guardsman, Jack Tischer, who's leaking classified information about Ukraine. Um, we can barely set up a website for people to buy health insurance. Um, the, the government, the U.S. government is, again, Pentagon is a large, clunky bureaucracy. And I'm not sure if the sensationalism around UAPs, particularly as it's tied to anti-government sentiment, it's healthy, it's productive, and it's just not accurate. Um, yes. And uh, what are the challenges and limitations in investigating and addressing UAP, uh, particularly from civil military perspective? Because uh, uh, as we mentioned you know, previously about resources, these are some of the restrictions, not fully though. Uh, so what are the primary uh, challenges and uh, limitations from your perspective? I think taking the topic seriously and reducing the stigma to ensure people are reporting actual threats and more broadly focusing on the threat, namely terrestrial threats. Um, I think there's a concern in academic circles that if you study this topic that you are either explicitly or implicitly um, supporting conspiracy theories. I think there's this uh, false assumption that it's tied to extraterrestrials, when in fact, there are lots and lots of terrestrial threats that exist. And I think that, um, you know, we, we need to bring down the temperature 
be transparent, but also make it boring. And by boring, I mean figuring out where there's a whole spectrum of threats that exist, prioritizing those threats. And my hypothesis again is that it's probably terrestrial threats that are going to take, take they're going to demand the limited resources uh, necessary to address this stuff going forward. Um, and I think there's kind of actionable things that probably are not going to be on the front line, front front line news of News Nation every night on, on television or in the New York Times. Um, but I think they're very necessary to ensure that our airspace is safe and secure. Yes. And uh, I mean, this we discussed previously as well a little bit, but, uh, uh, but you know, taking a little more a deeper perspective. So what are ethical and societal implications of European how can we balance scientific inquiry with uh, responsible communication to the public? Yeah, I think, again, the destigmatizing reporting is going to be key because we need quality data. Um, I think we do need, yeah. definitely need better, better data. Um, and this idea of having a trusted resource to collect and analyze it in a transparent manner. Um, yeah. it, it, having a centralized authority that where things are kind of kept secret is not going to be helpful for civil military relations. On the flip side of it, we don't want to just kind of release information that could be potentially classified. For example, are we testing new types of drone technology in military operations areas that we don't want our adversaries to know about? That's not hiding any extraterrestrial evidence. That's just hiding maybe a new type of technology, just like we did when we were developing stealth technology decades and decades ago. And so I think one thing that's yes. going to have to happen is that civil military relationships going to be really important to kind of thread that needle to ensure that we can have a productive and, um, and, and just healthy discussion about what is flying above us day in and day out. Yeah. And I think, you know, this just showcases how much writing and communication is important, not from the skill set perspective, <laughs> but from the responsibility perspective, actually. This basic, these are basic skill set. You know, but when you're a journalist, this you can actually cause a havoc if you do this and use this in a wrong way, actually, right? Exactly. And like, I, I'm really proud that our RAND report, which is publicly available, by the way, and we are very detailed about our methods that we use. Anybody can download the same data set we use. And it's, we're so, I think the append methodological appendix is actually much more there's much more in that than the actual main report itself. It's all publicly available. And I invite people to download the data, which is publicly available from the National UFO Reporting Center, replicate our models, add new covariates, find limitations. I think transparency is gonna be yes. key. Um, yes. with, with that being said, um, I am proud that on Twitter, there were people who, um, after reading the report, I think someone tweeted out that, um, leave it to Rand to take the, the sexiest topic and make it incredibly boring. And it's boring because there's a lot of nuance. There's a lot of footnotes. Um, we don't have yeah. an agenda. And again, everything is wide, wide open for, for, for your listeners to, to read, replicate. Yes. Nothing's being hidden here. So. Yes. Yes. Now I, I agree with this fact, you know, because I, whenever I have to take a deep dive into something uh, from a strategic perspective, the first thing I run to is Rand. <laughs> that's that's the that's the go-to website i can always find whether it's you know because I, I believe rand gives out a lot of good analysis on space and defense and security in all these three topics but my primary domain is military satellite and i, I see a lot of you know public reports that are coming out out of rand and uh, it really adds to my analysis uh, whatever i write for you know the magazines and newspapers as well 
So, so I really appreciate your team's work <laughs> on the back Thank end. You. Thank you. Yes. So, you know, uh, I think we are at the end of the podcast now. Uh, so this question is not related to our topic. Uh, but as, you know, I was once a student as well. And uh, there there have been, you know, a lot of struggles to reach to this point uh, in a specific niche of the industry. So that is the reason this last question I keep completely to the students because I believe each of the expert who uh, comes on this podcast has something to, you know, kind of uh, give an anecdote or possibly some steps or maybe some opinion uh, to the students uh, because a lot of student audience also actually listens to my podcast. So what message would you like to share with student researchers and other stakeholders willing to participate and engage in defense security research studies? Primarily, you know, anything and everything related to military, actually. So science is inherently institutionalized skepticism. And I think that skepticism, those two words are really, um, I think it's important to be skeptical. And the UAP issue is a perfect example. You sh have, the, your listeners should be skeptical of all different types of claims and poking and prodding assumptions and, and claims and evidence. But it needs to be institutionalized insofar as it's disciplined and it's not just kind of wild claims and conspiracy theories. And I think what we need is reasonable people who are reasonably skeptical about following the data, but ultimately we follow the data to reach a claim and conclusion that is independent of ideological beliefs. Um, yes. There's too much ideology and politics getting kind of mishmash with various types of public policy, namely national security policy, at least in the United States and, and I would argue in other parts of the world. And what we need is people willing to kind of set off the noise, follow the data, but continue to be skeptical of what they're analyzing, where it's coming from and not accepting the status quo. Yes. Yeah. Thank you very much uh, for, you know, this uh, valuable insights, Marek. I believe students can also take a lot of out of the suggestions from your side. Uh, and yeah, I think during our conversation, there are a lot of questions that popped up, especially about the disinformation thing. That can be a complete separate topic. So I really hope to record a few more episodes with you in the future as well oh, of uh, course. on, on of these course. topics. So yeah, thank you very much again for your time. No, thank you. And um, feel free to follow up anytime and... Um... Let me know when it comes out because Rand will broadcast it on as well. Yes, definitely. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you find our podcast insightful, then please like, share and subscribe. See you in the next episode. Thank you.